Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello and welcome to our after show for the highly anticipated new miniseries HBO's Our Boys. We're going to be breaking down chapters one and two. There's a lot of heavy topics to break down, but we are so happy to be doing it with you. So stay tuned. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Hey, AfterBuzzers. Welcome to the after show for our boys. Man, it is um, a heavy chapter one and two, but I'm here with two talented and intelligent ladies by my side. So hopefully you guys are joining us in the chat so we can break down these topics that are important to break down. And I'm so happy that HBO has brought a show like this to the forefront and with some pretty um, epic things that we're going to be discussing with the language being spoken in it, the how it got brought into brought into creation, and all of that. But before we get started, I am Steph. I am joined to the left, Rivette. She is our HBO fanatic. She loves all HBO shows, and this is one is hopefully no different, but a little bit different in terms of what is being broadcasted. Yeah, I'm really excited and happy to be here and to talk with you guys about you know this show. And we have Tatiana. She is a she is a knowledge buff. She loves to learn. So when she found out there was a show like this that would be bringing some historical facts, obviously some dramatized facts to or facts, dramatized notes to the show, you were obviously intrigued. Yes, definitely. I love to learn. Love documentaries, docuseries. It's always awesome to learn. And I am Steph. I love history. I studied human rights. Um, I love cultural context in terms of history and how things play out so this show was right up my alley I will say that we're all, um, this show shook us a bit, we didn't know exactly how historically based it was going to be going into it, but I think it's beautifully shot, I think that there's a story to be told and um, the fact that it's, there's both, it was create co-created by Israelis and Palestinians alike makes it even more important and something that I've been waiting to see growing up. Um, I saw all the violence ensuing in the Middle East, uh, not knowing um, where each other stood, but it's cool to see that art is what it, it's doing what it's meant to do, which is bring us together and tell a story, and that's exactly what they did. So we will be breaking it down. We're going to introduce the characters. We're going to um, then move on to talking about the Israeli boys, the three that went missing, later found to be dead, um, and how that plays into hope versus revenge, how that leads into the title of Our Boys, and what that kind of means in the broader space of things. And then we will get into the disappearance of Muhammad and what ensues after that. And we will have a special segment. We will have our top three, which is a fun little thing we do here at AfterBuzz. And then we will have some news and gossip from Tatiana and wrap it up with some predictions, though predictions might be hard on this one. So we'll see how that one goes. (laughs) What was your guys' overall thoughts of chapter one and two? 
Uh, honestly, it was very unexpected for me. I went into this not really knowing much of the history about what happened, and I, first of all, didn't know it was in another language, but I, I like that it was authentic in that way and that they kept it um, in Hebrew and Arabic. And reading the subtitles, it didn't take away any of it for me. It just felt more authentic. Um, I obviously can't imagine what it was like to be there, but watching the show, it really felt so real. Like you said, it was so beautifully shot. I was taken aback, if anything. I really liked it because I feel like, um, you know, oftentimes we're stuck in this bubble over here with our problems and just what is fed to us in the news. And so it was really... uh, it was really awesome to see this from a different perspective, and it was a perspective that I didn't know. And so uh, I liked, I liked how they showed both sides. That was that was really entertaining and mm-hmm. very very cool for me. Mm-hmm. And for me, and I know for Rivette and Tatiana as well, um, we have friends on and family and in various places of the Middle East, and we have Israeli friends, we have Jewish friends, we have Palestinian friends, we have Middle Eastern friends, Arabic-speaking friends, Mm -hmm. and um, respected in all areas, so to see the story being told uh, was really interesting for me, and really stressful and emotionally weighing, but... I thought it was so beautiful. The performances were insane, and I could not take my eyes off the screen for a single second. I'm I'm nervous about the following eight episodes because it is so real and it's so emotional. But I am excited to see where um, what they do with the story that is based in some in historical facts. So we'll we'll see how it goes, but I'm really impressed with chapters one and two, and I do hope that a lot of people tune in to the show to see what it has what it has to offer. So let's start with the characters. There's multiple paralleling storylines being placed, and you kind of get this feeling from the beginning that they're going to intertwine somehow. And we start with Simon, who's a, a terrorism agent at the Jewish division of Shin Bet, the Israel Israel uh, Security Agency. And he, we see he has this like weird relationship with this youth Jewish terrorist turned informant. We see him getting picked up from the prison. What was your initial thoughts of Simon? Did you kind of understand where he was coming from in the beginning? For me, it took a little bit. Um, Simon, I wasn't sure in the beginning. He really, I know we'll get into this later, but he was sort of talking about how we shouldn't give false hope to the parents of the boys and stuff like that. And I, I didn't really like that. For me, I just felt like he was a little bit pessimistic. I eventually warmed up to him and kind of see where he's coming from and everything, but initially he wasn't. He kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I always try to put myself in other people's shoes, and so I was trying to think from his perspective. Like, imagine how much he's seen already in his uh, in his line of work and uh, the you know the things that he's come across and all of that. So I, he's not a person to sugarcoat anything, and so I kind of right off the bat understood where he was coming from. Although it sounds you know, really insensitive and unsympathetic. Um, He was just kind of like, you know, it is what it is. And I have a hunch and it's right, you know, just because of how long he's been doing it. I mean, he's married to his work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I did notice for him, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe he had any Jewish uh, traditional garb Mm -mm. on whatsoever. So I thought instantly that was obviously he was he was a middle ground type person um, for this story in specific, which we see the 
uh, intricate details that they went to show how many different people are income like created in this one area of land that we call Israel and Palestine and the the territories in between. So that seemed like a, per- a creative. Um, it had purpose to that, mm-hmm. which was which was cool to see. I I I can't wait to get into what Rivette brought up, the idea of hope, and we'll get right into that after we finish with these characters. We then get introduced to Avi Avi Shea, who's played by Adam Gabay, and he's an ultra orthodox teenager whose family is pressuring him to attend a yeshiva. And yeshiva, for those of you who don't know, at home is a Jewish educational institution that focuses on the study of traditional religious texts, primarily the Talmud and the Torah. So you see, um, instantly I saw this kid who was confused, maybe struggling with some emotional issues, obviously bearing the weight of the world as all these boys are, which is what the title I think is playing into of what is religion, what does it mean in terms of my existence of where I am. What was your thoughts about him? He, I felt like I saw a little bit of myself in him, sort of that teenager that doesn't really know what route he wants to take, his family sort of pressuring him, and I think he's the most, like, relatable Mm -hmm. character, for me at least, and he's sort of just growing up and not really sure what he wants to do. It was nice to have somebody neutral, like somebody that we could witness, um, witness what was going on. Like his reactions are very genuine, it seems, and so it was it was nice to have somebody to kind of like sit with, you know, and watch everything that was going on, because um, his his reactions were pretty much my mine <laughs> really you know <laughs> it's so interesting i took him the exact opposite way of you two to me he was very unsettling and and i i felt for him because i i feel that confusion that they must have and obviously i have i come from a religious background my family is religious and um especially when religion is intertwined with your culture's history it gets even more serious and even more pressure on kids but sometimes i think people become and I don't know where his character will lead, but uh, extremists are built out of uncertainty sometimes. And that's what I felt from him, but I don't know. I felt like just a serious sense of pressure, uncertainty, and um, it could turn into impulsive behavior. So I don't mm. know. That's how I felt. He was definitely <laughs> easily like pressured. Like when, yeah. when they were walking down the street and he yes. and he wasn't shouting anything at all. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's his uncle. Yeah, is, his uncle. Yeah, it kind of looks at him like, come Yo-hai, on. I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and to me, have you guys heard, studied at all, like the idea of cognitive dissonance? Mm-hmm. That's what it was to me. Like where you're, you have two contradictory beliefs and ideas, one being his, his uncle who's clearly an extremist possibly, I mean, he's racist. Anyone who's that extreme becomes a racist on both sides. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to make that clear. Both sides. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I don't know with him. We'll see where that goes. And then we have the, like, the young Kadir, and he is played by Ram Masarwe, I believe, and his father Hussein, played by Joni Arbid. And they, you could see like this interesting dynamic between the two of them, where 
again, again, the idea of a boy not really being able to be a boy. He was out of school, but he was still working like kind of a really tedious job with his father and dealing with the pressures, but still just wanting to be a kid on his phone. What did you guys think about their relationship in the first episode, at least? With Muhammad and his father? Yeah. Um, Again, I, I did see myself, my family, I, I come from a Middle Eastern background. My parents owned uh, their own businesses growing up, and they always wanted to put us to work. Like, on the weekends and summer, it was like, this is the family business. You know, we're a family. We're going to do this together. And it, it took me back to that moment where I'm like, I just want to text my <laughs> friends or, like, plan my summer trip or whatever. And I, I sort of like that that was authentic to, like, from what my experience is with, like, the Middle Eastern culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was classic, like, parent, well, minus the work, but, you know, the, <laughs> the uh, you know, get off your phone, I told you to do this, why aren't you listening to me, you know, that was um, very relatable, because I feel like any any teenager growing up with a phone kind of had that, <laughs> that uh, happen to them, but I feel like their relationship is definitely strained, and I don't think it's just because it's the classic teenager yeah. relationship. There's definitely something that is a wedge between him and his father. Totally. I think, and we see it with all, the, every side of the situation where it's these, and that can lead into our next topic, just the Israeli boys in the state of politics. All these kids are just wanting to do average kid things, but they're in this zone of extreme political turmoil and extreme religious uh, groups that are adding to the issues. So uh, let's get into the, we start with the three Israeli boys gone and they're taken. And this is where Simon has the, he wants to be very like logical about everything. And he's even told you're the only one, not emo- you're the only one emotionally detached and I don't get it. To me, I got it because mm-hmm. it's like when he started talking about hope I, I see that because with all groups in every hist- from the beginning of history to now, when a group of people is oppressed and there's enough hope, you're filling up a balloon and what happens when the balloon pops? There's an explosion. And that's what I could see in his face, what he thought could happen. And Rebecca, I'm curious, what were you thinking in that moment, that conversation between him and his um, co-worker? Um, I... I'm not surprised that he... I think he has to detach himself from his emotions. Sort of like uh, Tatiana was saying earlier, He he's been through so much. He's seen it all play out. He really can't insert himself into the narrative. He has to take a step back. And I'm not surprised. I think that's what makes him successful at his job. Mm-hmm. Think, imagine if you took on every single case that you had emotionally mm-hmm. and, and went home, especially went home alone you know because he's not married doesn't have any kids like not dating anybody you know like that's 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 difficult like that could crush a person so you know yeah he has to be that way yeah and it's really interesting because we have um the israeli side that is praying in the streets and has these massive groups of thousands of people joining in the streets for prayer which is on in hindsight a beautiful beautiful thing and and that's the thing about religion all religions are based in this idea of like love and forgiveness and um equality and all of these things but oftentimes when politics get into religion it turns extremely ugly mm-hmm. i would argue that most wars are created by extremist um ide- ideology and the miseducation of religion in the religious texts so when i saw that i thought wow so beautiful but 
wow, what happens next? Like, that just stressed me out. But <laughs> I think either way, it, what happened would have happened. Like, if yeah. he went and said, you know, look, you should stop all the prayers and stop doing all this. I think people would still be rioting and they would still be mass praying. And, you know, I, th- I think the same thing would have happened either way. Is there any way in hindsight, even if we compare it to things that happen in America, which I think there's a lot of ties with um, black America in specific and pol- the state of pol- the police and the relationship between the police and black and brown communities. Is there a way that you wish things would be negotiated to the people in a different way? Because it felt like for them, there was no talks. There was no communication. All it was was we're doing our best. We're hiding, we're hiding the facts from them and we're telling them we're doing their best. Would that be the approach you would like, like your government to take or would you like a more open and honest conversation? I would definitely want my government to be honest with me. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't... You're lying to the people, and it's not helping them. It's, it's might, it might calm them down for the time being, but in the long run, you're hurting them more than you're helping them. I would personally prefer the honesty. Me too. Definitely yeah. honesty. But in order to have honesty, then you have to have, you have to have people willing to listen on both sides. And I think that's where the one of the problems lies is that you know some people are not willing to listen because of what's happened in Mm -hmm. the past and because they have gotten burned in the past and don't trust anybody Mm -hmm. anymore and so in order to when there's that much conflict and that much hurt that has happened it's hard to come to a place where both people can actually sit down and you know be civil both parties can sit down and be civil and have a conversation about it Mm -hmm. to me um if i'm looking at american history and the way we govern and in comparison to the way other countries and cultures um go about the their communication with its citizens the only time hiding things from people the only people it helps is the people in control Mm -hmm. is the people in power and the only people who get hurt across history is the citizens so we keep doing this game where we don't tell people what's happening and then you expect them to act act normal and not right in the streets and when oppressed people are oppressed for long enough they will riot Mm -hmm. and they will form hatred because hope is so just like love and hate are so closely connected they are almost the exact same but different by a thread i think hope and revenge is plays a very similar tie in that same sense Uh, Before we move on to our next topic, though, I do want to thank you guys for tuning in at home. You guys make this possible. You make this discussion possible. And you make us being the ESPN of TV talk possible. We love being able to talk about all these TV shows that bring up important topics and important historical backgrounds. So thank you so much. One thing you guys can do to help us is if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to hit that like button. Leave us a comment. And we'll make sure that we can talk to you guys after this episode is done. And if you're listening on iTunes, which is is maybe my favorite leave us those five stars for an extra spicy review as well we absolutely love those reviews and we just want to thank you guys for joining us week after week (laughs) so moving on to uh where things get really crazy is when we find out the three israeli boys were found dead and then it just Muhammad is at, working at a restaurant and can no longer speak Arabic. I mean, that is so crazy. It's really crazy. 
this really crazy and had to sneak out the back. Just the fact that this was this is a reality, like mm-hmm. this happened, like people went through this a few like five years ago. I think this it was yeah, if I'm not twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen, yes. It's just it's hard to wrap my mind around it because I know these things happen, but to see it play out play out on screen and knowing that it's depicting real life events, it was so sad. And I know it's it's true because these these things happen in the Middle East and other countries as well. It was so sad to watch. I feel like I was holding back tears at that moment because I I don't get it because I never lived anything like that. But seeing it play out, knowing it was real, it was really hard. It's it's really hard to watch. And I'm on a lesser scale. We we face similar issues in America where people are often um, and brown and black people are often code switching is what it's mostly called in America where people can't act the same as they would at home as they do in day to day lives at work or in public areas and they have to hide their language or hide the way that they look and dress and it's 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 truly insane and when you start policing the way you talk and speak and look you have serious serious issues on the rise because you cannot repress people's cultures. People mm-hmm. will boil and they're not going to assimilate. That that way of life has never worked and and even historically speaking, a lot of the issues in Israel and Pal- with Israel and Palestine were interconnected with British rule and governance. So the idea of trying to Colonize or change cultures and people in your place will never ever work, and it's so disturbing to watch. And that scene stressed me out. I'm like, what's going to happen now? But that wasn't what happened. It didn't happen then. It took me for a turn. I didn't know if it was going to happen then or later. That <laughs> did you guys think that? I mean, I was, I was, I was just fearing for their life when they, you know, they snuck out the back, and I thought for sure somebody's gonna, somebody's gonna know mm-hmm. that. And they're gonna. And when they were in the um, the trolley, and that guy was looking at him, you know, and I thought for sure somebody's gonna hit him in the in the train, or like, you know, they're gonna kill him, or something's gonna happen there. I mean, it's just such close quarters, and it was so crazy. And then everybody was beating on the train, and I just, yeah, you know, I thought, but they didn't. They looked scared. But honestly, if I put myself in the same situation, like I would be losing my mind. Oh my you know? gosh! But to, they didn't. They were just kind of like nervous about it, you know, and stayed on the train. And then by the time they got home, they're like, "Okay, yeah, all right, okay, you're gonna wait up for me now. I'm gonna go take a nap. All right." I love that you brought that up, Tatiana, because I was equally thinking that. Like they're they're stressed right now. They are really stressed. The father's stressed, calling, um, telling him that the the Jew, in quotes Jew, the Jews have it out for the Arabs now. So please get home. But when they get home, it's it's back to normal. I mean, he's hanging up a Ramadan sign because they all are about to be or started their fast and. And was hanging out with friends, walking in the streets. And it's really interesting because when we think of places that have violence in different areas we all, we think the entire place is like that but that's mm-hmm. not that's how intricate these things play is that it's it's different when you're actually on the grounds and that was like the first time really seeing kind of in the lens of what it would be to be a young Palestinian or Israeli boy. Mm-hmm. It took me a second to like switch my brain 
that it's not yeah, like our point. life yeah. like if that happened we'd be like i'm not i'm building a tunnel i'm yeah. not going <laughs> anywhere i'm not going out of my house yeah. i was like no. mom watch me yeah. watch me <laughs> know where i am at all times like there's no yeah there's no way so it took me a second to to think oh, okay they're good okay they're fine now right mm-hmm. you know yeah i did not think they were going to make it home like i really thought something was about to happen on the trolley it was just so intense. Mm-hmm. But I think it was more so like us like holding our breath. Yeah. And they just sort of look nervous. But I yeah, I I'm surprised they made it home. And finally we are led to the disappearance of Muhammad and the the police investigation that followed it. So when Muhammad leaves the house and he's right outside, the mom sees him and then all of a sudden the mom at the same time, I'm kind of wondering creatively what the decision was when the mo- mother was saying to him before he left, like, I can't breathe, Habibi, like, don't that's go too hard. That's a mother's intuition. You think? Oh. I, to- I know it. Mm-hmm. I know it. I'm a mom. So, I, it's, you wake up, there's times, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you just think, I gotta pray. Or I have this sensation, I can't breathe. And the wow. first thing you think of is, like, your kids. And it doesn't matter. You don't sit there and think, well, what could it be? You know, is it something that happened yesterday or tomorrow? You just do what you need to do. And I and I 100% believe that that's what it was. Like, she knew something's not right, so I'm going to pray. Because that's, yeah. that's the first thing that you do, you know, when you're when you're a person of faith or, or you know, what have you. You you meditate or you pray or, you know, you do what you have to do and you, when you don't know what it is. And that's I 100% believe that's what she did. Because what happened next mm-hmm. is what happened to her mm-hmm. son. And she kept checking on him, too. Yeah. You know, so it was yeah. just, I wholeheartedly believe mother's intuition. That makes so much sense. It really does. And I saw a lot of my mom, like, my family's Catholic, and we grew up pretty religious. And I saw a lot of my mom in that moment. Because, mm-hmm. like you said, initially she would just pray. And, like, it is a mother's intuition. I'm not a mother, but I have one. So I completely understand what you're saying. It makes total sense. I mean, it's so scary to think about. Every time I left the house, my mom would... I'd have to call when I got somewhere, (laughs) when I was going to bed, and when I woke up. And when you're a kid, you don't get it. You're like, why? Everything's Mm -hmm. fine. Leave me alone. Leave me alone, (laughs) Mom. And then when you see things like this, and when you get older, and you eventually become a mom, you're like, oh. Because, like, you just don't know. Because you worry all the time. All the time. Because it's Mm -hmm. like your heart is walking around outside. You know, and I can't, I can't hold them forever. Yeah. I can't be yeah. like, stay with me forever. Yeah. You, know, you can't do that. You have to send them out. And, oh, that's heart wrenching. Yeah, it's difficult. It really is. And and then when he is gone and um, his father cannot find him, and they can't find him, and the mom saw him, and then all of a sudden he was gone. That um, Hussein, he Hussein's performance was gut-wrenching. I mean, I haven't seen a performance like that and I, I don't know if ever, honestly. I, you could just see it in his eyes and it felt like I was like, that was the that was the hardest part about breaking down the shows because it felt like a documentary mm-hmm. and not a show. And so I, I need to like take a step back and realize a lot of things were done for dramatic effect, but this position as a father, I do not think 
can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is exactly what I think my father would have done and acted like. Like, pure shock, roaming the streets, not wanting to, like, hear any bit of bad news, just wanting to find your child. And you see the level of, like, of uh, almost panic just slowly rising. This is when I started crying, watching Mm -hmm. him. And the mom, but then watching Hussein, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I can't, because you know what's going to happen, and it's just, it was it was horrible. Yeah. How was the scene for you, Riva? Uh, like Tatiana mentioned, just that that growth, like that. Oh, you know, where's Muhammad? And they're asking each other, and they're calling him. And slowly, it he, it really truly was. I think the mother as well. Their both of their performances was so believable. It felt so real because it it just it built up and in their eyes and in their skin and their facial expressions and. It felt like I was going through it with them. Like, it was just so hard to watch. I think that's... I definitely cried during that scene, too. I think the hardest thing to watch was when the police told him, you know, we're going to bring you to the station. Come with us. We'll write a report. And everybody around him is freaking out. And he's still in the midst of his panic and probably turning somewhat into grief, right, and hope. All these mixed emotions. He's still trying to keep the peace. Yeah. Still, he's saying, "Calm down, calm down. Don't worry. No, I think I'm gonna go." And he's trying to make up his mind: Should I go in the in the, you know, police car or not? Should I or not? And everybody's yelling at him, and he's dealing with all this inside. Like, and he's still saying, "Don't do anything crazy." Because you just want he just wants to find his son. But what was really uh, an interesting and important piece of information that came before this was that they speak of, quote-unquote, the settlers. And um, if you don't have historic background, this is to assume that they're speaking about Israeli and Jewish people who have moved into previously Palestinian-owned territory and previously encompassed by only Palestinian people. So there was a... Uh, attempted kidnapping of a kid two days prior, I believe. And so this reminded me kind of of in the times of the O.J. Simpson case, right before was the Rodney King um, police brutality night and which ensued riots and that kind of similar feeling where when people already don't trust you because you screwed up so badly like it's so hard for that second thing to happen Mm -hmm. and and for Hussein in particular I felt like you don't know what to do you have so much mistrust with this government you would you see on the police um, outfits they all had um, the Israeli flag Mm -hmm. and um, so it's who do you trust you see your people that that you spend your day to day with, you share a culture and religion with, and then you see the government who's supposed to, in the police who's supposed to protect you. So I don't know. I, at that point, watching, I didn't know what he should have done, and I kind of felt like if you go, will you find more answers, or if you go, what happens? Will they start blaming you? It's it's tough. I mean, I do think ultimately he did make the right decision because. Everybody, you know, all his his friends, his neighbors, his family, they are so emotionally involved in this. And they, as much as they want to help, I think they might have made it harder for him. Whereas the police are not, you know, emotionally invested. And I don't know. Again, it's tough. I don't know. I think he thought maybe, like, resource-wise, 
going with down to the police station was probably the better idea. I think maybe he thought he could cover more ground, ha- have more at his disposal just for the purpose of finding his son. Um, if he stayed with, you know, his community, it would have been, uh, I think it just would have been a different approach. Maybe he thought that it wouldn't have been as organized or maybe he thought, you know, um, they don't have as many resources, as, as much ground to cover, you know. Which, um, yeah, they clearly don't. They were showing the different cities and areas and um, one was just more highly developed than the other, technologically speaking, I would say. Just the way the architecture of the cities where mostly Israeli and Jewish people were um, living and in comparison to the Palestinian and Arab people. So I would assume that they probably, th- he probably thought that they would have more resources. But when they were dismissive of his claims, I just wanted to wring their necks mm-hmm. like and any anybody who's missing a loved one would feel that like you need to be and it bleeds into a, another great conversation where it's like how do victims become the people in question mm-hmm. in any sort of situation when people are honest to god desperate for any sort of answers or anything has happened to a loved ones how dare you bring them into question of of what they are capable of and that's exactly what we see with hussein in the questioning did you guys expect that or how and how were you feeling during that that scene in particular when they brought him to the police station and we're questioning him um i think it goes back to they they don't really trust each other like he doesn't trust the police and they don't really trust him as well and i think the hardest part of that whole scene for me was when they were asking him what he what muhammad was wearing and they had him call his wife and asked about his underwear and then I think that slowly was when they started to realize, like, why are you asking about his underwear? Why are you asking about that? And the police are saying, it's protocol, it's protocol. But I think that was the hardest thing for me to watch because I think that's when they realized our son is probably not coming home. Mm-hmm. I think it was, <laughs> if I put myself in his position, my my first inclination would be to think, you know, what do you think, why do you think, that I did it, number one, because I'm his father, and then number two, you think that my people did it to ourselves, like... Asking about honor killings. Yeah, like, and I would be, that would frustrate me on a whole different level. Like, for it would be insulting, you Mm -hmm. know? For I'm Mm -hmm. here for my son. I'm not here to talk about this other stuff. So it's kind of like you, I imagine that he would have to separate that in his mind, you know, because that could totally go off on a tangent. Yeah. He could argue with them about that. Look, you know, this is how I feel about that. But he had to separate and go, okay, no, no, I'm here for my son. So what is this about my son? Mm-hmm. It's asking a lot of a person. Yeah. Yeah. When it, somebody is missing, you know, that's important as your son. And, you know, you're you're not being completely honest with them. I feel like, if anything, that's the person that you want to be the most honest with. And since they took away his phone, it's not like he can tell anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have him in a room, guarded. There's not, not There's no better time to be honest mm-hmm. with what's going on. And in the parallel scene, we see Simon and them actually reaching more developments in the case and what has happened, and they find a burned body who they subse- suspect is the boy as he matches some of the description, but he's burned and mutilated, so they can't really identify. But this brings about 
the conversation of what each party or each group thinks about one another and the miseducation of both of them. On one side of the Israeli-Jewish side, we see them asking about honor killings and um, and it brings about if he was gay or not and the real, and the issues with that in their culture. And then on the flip side, um, they were saying Jews don't burn people, especially kids. And we see earlier in the episode the rabbi saying that kids are basically like the no zone, like you don't touch children, which is across cultures many people believe that because you have to be a psychopath to go after children <laughs> really humans in general but children especially and and so that that's what made it so disgusting but then we see the uh, simon saying seeing a watch in in the footage of the kidnapping and he said palestinians don't wear watches so and radical jews are not necessarily religious and an arab knows an arab and you can't assume jews are incapable of cruelty to their enemies and all these things that are wrapping around and to me i take it as that humans are are humans Mm -hmm. and they have their own selfish desires and actions that they will play into and so when we start generalizing groups of people that's where we lose kind of the idea of what actually did happen i think there's truth in some of those statements but in some it's like you are missing what's in front of you what did you guys think about those various statements that were said throughout the episode did did any of those you felt like some of them were true and some of them weren't or do you think they're all problematic at its core um i i've heard people like other middle eastern people say like oh i know i can tell if someone's you know iraqi or where you know syrian Afghani or wherever or they're from pakistani yeah yeah and i i've never really seen it as problematic until sort of we saw it play it out play out on screen um but growing up, I, I have, like, that's very accurate. That's how people, you know, talk, and that's how they think. And it's, I don't know. Once again, it's just, like, these things I never really thought about before. It's just like, oh, because I, I can probably say the same thing. I'm Chaldean and Assyrian, typically. If I see someone, I, like, have an inkling. Like, I can tell if they're from the same culture as I am or from the same city or whatever it is. Um, but I don't know. They did, they... Put me in for a little bit of a surprise, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. I think it's descriptive part of it. So yeah. Some of what he was saying is descriptive. You know, and when you're raised in a certain culture, you develop certain mannerisms, you know, that you wouldn't otherwise have. So I think some of there's truth in some of that. But there's also, like you were saying, you know, humans are humans. Anybody can kill anybody, mm-hmm. you know doesn't matter what you are yeah. or what mannerisms you have or what culture you were born into you know you, you're all capable of the same thing you have to be like Simon which is why he is the main character in the investigation because Simon does he's looking for facts even though he's the watch things seem true to me in context cultural con- context and um, economic context that seemed that seemed like something that could play into part and he he judged the whole thing like you don't know that Jews may not burn people historically, but you don't know that they couldn't. Like, anyone is capable of anything in these kind of times. And so, uh, for me, seeing the questioning of the hypocrisy of racism at its core and tribalism and all this religious extremism brings about a lot of great questions and 
And I'm always talking about it with people because, as I said, human rights is my jam. So I always like to question myself and where I am. And everyone evolves, and I think that's what people don't realize. You start at a space because you were raised with certain people that look a certain way and act a certain way. And I always say that you have humans are structured to find patterns in things. So when we find patterns, that's where we build stereotypes. But my rule of thumb is is that you can think something that could be racist in your head. What matters is the second thing you do with it. Do you act on it or do you realize that was racist and then you don't act on it? (laughs) So these questions are... I'm really excited for them to explore all of these ideology and we're left at the end of the episode um, not really knowing what's happening, but there's riots in the streets. We know that Muhammad is dead. He was burned and mutilated. We know that three Israeli boys were killed by an extreme group um, Hamas and that is kind of where we leave off yeah <laughs> it's, a yeah. <laughs> it's a lot yeah it's a lot a lot to handle that's just getting into it yeah. just getting into it but any lasting thoughts on the episodes that we watched <laughs> it's okay if you don't. I just want to give a quick shout out to Alicia420, who says, I've been thinking of starting the show, but was waiting for After Buzz, so I haven't started it yet, but sounds good, and we'll be here for next week. Can't awesome. wait. Thank you for okay. tuning in, and we're looking forward to seeing you for the rest of the season. Yes, thank you. Okay, yeah. let's, um, before we do our news and gossip, let's do our top three. So, top three is kind of for each After Buzz episode of the premiere and the finale. We break down our top three and today's top three will be our favorite historically based shows and this was hard because there's a lot that have been done in a lot recently and some in the past but we narrowed it down to Chernobyl which is also an HBO miniseries Roots, a classic, probably showed in your local history class growing up, (laughs) and Wild Wild Country, which is on Netflix. That one is a crazy one that I didn't know the story of until I watched the show, so I would definitely suggest that. Those are those are our top three that I if you like this show, you should definitely check those out. And then Tatiana, you have some news and gossip for us? I do, I do. (laughs) I have news. Um, I read an article for the New York Times, and it was basically going over um, the three creators of the show, which is um, Haggai Levy, who's Israeli, and um, Tafik Abu Wael, who is Palestinian, and then Joseph Cedar, who is Israeli-raised, but he was actually in New York. And the reason why I say um, what their background is is because it was kind of controversial when they were talking about the show um, to make sure that all parties were represented. And so they made sure to get... um, representatives from from everybody and Mm -hmm. they actually said that they argued a lot on set and uh, when they were coming up with the show because they there was a lot of there is a lot of tension around this subject so they wanted to make sure that it was hashed out and HBO actually approached Levi in 2015 and asked if he could adapt an article from the New York Times about the murdered boys into a series and then from them from then um, Levi brought on Joseph as a director and co-creator and then they approached um, Tafik who doesn't do political stuff so he originally said no I don't want to do it but then they actually took him back um, and they traveled to East Jerusalem to meet the family of Muhammad 
And that is what convinced him to to hop on board and and do the show. And this is actually the first entirely Hebrew and Arabic language series to air in the U.S. Wow. That is huge. It's huge. That's all. I Thank you for sharing that. I think yeah. I read a similar a- article. And to add on that, I wrote down one quote from it where they Cedar was saying, we felt a responsibility to represent a narrative we believed was true. These narratives are not the same. What the audience will get is two separate stories around the same event, which is how history is yeah. <laughs> all the time. So thank you, Tatiana. Uh, is that it for news and gossip? Yes, it is. Thank you so much. And for our special segment, we're going to either each week be breaking down kind of a um, a fun fact of what's happened in the episode or highlight a actor from this series. For today, I do have one fact that it, the series was co-produced by Michael Lomb- Lombardo himself, the man who served as HBO's president of programming between the years of 2007 to 2016. It was under his supervision that the network accepted shows that helped build HBO's legacy, such as Game of Thrones, Boardwalk Empire, Veep, The Leftovers, and more. So that's really interesting to me because this show the creators and the producers and I'm sure HBO will receive a lot of flack for it. I think it will receive a lot of praise but with the this issue in particular it does not usually blow over well to talk about so we'll mm-hmm. see and I and I applaud their their bravery because I think history and stories have to be told and that's the whole reason that we create. It's why we do what we do. We like to be in an artistic platform where we can speak and and make images of things that aren't always spoken about. Mm-hmm. So I think for predictions <laughs> I would like to say what you hope to get from the series because mm. this is a, a weird one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Starting with you, Tatiana, what do you hope to get out from the the series moving forward in the next episode? Um, honestly, knowledge, just just a different perspective on it. Because I remember when this was all going on uh, and it came across the news five years ago, it was it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't what was being told now. Not in any, not even close. In yeah. fact, it was turned into something completely different. And so that's what I remember. And so it's really nice to see. Um, the specifics of what actually happened um, so that way I can I have a better understanding of the entire situation and, and I agree I, I I want also our our country you know I want Americans to be more educated and unfortunately a lot of us don't really pay attention to things that are going on in other countries but when it's it's brought to entertainment it's brought to HBO it's dramatized for us but in a in a very respectful manner and in a manner that shows both sides i think that's really important for us to learn historically as a country so. yeah I agree. I think that it can do a greater job of showing what taking extremist beliefs on any side will do to people and the population as a whole. Because I I do believe more, way more people are good than bad, but the bad can outweigh the good, as we've seen across all genocides and horrific acts of violence, that all it takes is one bad seed to convince a mass out of fear and um, the un- of fear and the fear of the unknown. So, definitely want to see kind of those ideas played out into the series and people understand what what evil can do to people. 
So that wraps up chapters one and two. I'm excited to see what chapter three brings. Until then, from Rivette, Tatiana, and me, Steph, we want to thank you guys at home for watching, and we will see you next Monday. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 